0: All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Tommy Tahoe Alemo, episode 228, uh, sorry, 227, don't even know. Uh, Excited to get into this. This is where young salespeople go to hone their craft, to make more money, to climb the sales ladder, to get more fulfillment, whatever it is that you want out of your sales journey. uh, You can find it here, talk every uh, twice a week, Mondays and Wednesdays really excited about today's guest. Um, And before we get to her, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors. First of all, we got Gong, Gong gong.io, the number one revenue intelligence platform. Uh, It is changing the game for businesses everywhere, for CROs and for VPs of sales that want to learn more about their deals, that want to coach better, onboard better, learn about their markets, uh, and essentially just get visibility into a lot of the blind spots in their business. It's a freaking rocket ship. I love it so much that I am now working there and um, highly recommend you check it out. You can go to gong.io or you could just hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm Tom Alemo, DM me, slide into those DMs and I'll point you in the right direction to have a conversation. So uh, give them a look. I'd also love to give a shout out to postal.io for sponsoring the show in a world where everyone is uh, trying to personalize things that scale, quote unquote, postal's doing the things that don't scale. And helping you really customize things that you send to customers, partners, uh, you know, anyone like that. And what you can do is, you know, instead of like mass blasting something, you can send it from like the brewery down the road or from the florist on the street corner and the really personalizing things. I use them uh, personally for the handwritten notes because I have such ha- bad handwriting that you could type it out. They'll send it, postcard it directly to someone. Uh, so, I send those to all of the guests of this podcast and to uh, some customers. So, uh, it's a great, I love using it. Uh, and they're doing a cool thing. If you sponsor, uh, sorry, not if you sponsor, if you go review this podcast on Apple, um, they will give you a free Starbucks gift card. So, you go to Apple Podcast, go to this one, review it, five stars, send it to me on LinkedIn, and we'll get you a free Starbucks card. Get your Americano on. Uh, it's springtime. So maybe you want a little like ice cream tea action, you know, it's getting a little warm, something like that. Who knows? Whatever you want, it's up to you. Uh, so shout out to Gong, shout out to Postal, uh, help support this podcast by supporting, uh, those folks. Okay. So getting into, uh, today's guest got Alexine on the podcast. Uh, she, I mean, what does she not do in, uh, in the sales world? So, uh, you know, day job. She's a major account executive at Displayer. She's been there for about a year. Um, but let's just like read off the list of all the different things, the different awards. She's been a top 100 LinkedIn sales star, uh, Chicago Inno's 50 on Fire Award, sales hacker, featured women in sales, uh, president club winner, uh, co-host of the Women in Sales Club on Clubhouse. Uh, keep going. She's the director of community development for the Chicago chapter of Enterprise Sales Forum. Board of Directors for Sales Enablement Society. She just gets the fuck after it. I'm sorry to swear this early in the podcast, but we're going to do it. Uh, She gets after it. We talk about her background. We talk about her process. We talk about her mentality. I think you're going to love this episode. Uh, It's the first time that I met Alexine, and uh, I think we're going to have a great friendship moving forward because I really dug what she had to say. So uh, This is where I shut up and bring you straight to our conversation. Let's go. All right. Alexine Mudawar. Good morning. Welcome to millennial sales.
1: Good morning. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, excited to have you on and you are, uh, representing the family home in, uh, in Indiana right now, it looks like.
1: Yeah. As evidenced by my Taekwondo trophies behind me, this is, uh, I'm I'm at my home in Indiana. So, um, so it's been fun to visit with family, but definitely ready to get back to the big city.
0: Yeah. I, uh, Taekwondo was on the list of things to get to, and it it wasn't going to be the first thing, but since you brought it up, uh, you don't see that every day on someone's LinkedIn profile or as the background to their Zoom, uh, you know, uh, conversation. So tell me a little bit more about the Taekwondo background.
1: Yeah, so I... Um, so I, I unfortunately don't practice, uh, actively anymore, but for over a decade, I competed, I did national competitions. I was very big on sparring. So I have a first degree black belt, um, but I loved sparring. That was my favorite part. So it makes sense. I think in some ways that I ended up in sales, but, uh, but yeah, they talk a lot, you know, everybody always talks about the fact that if you're in sales, you know, a lot of people came from competitive sports, but Taekwondo is one and you don't hear about martial arts as often. So. Um, so yeah, just a lot of, a lot of Taekwondo in their early days, but it was a great sport. Like very, very much teaches you discipline and, um, te- you know, I learned a little Korean in the process. I can you know, randomly speak some Korean now, but, um, just really cool experience and, um, really amazing to learn from an awesome instructor for
0: so many years. What about the sparring did you like so much?
1: I don't know. Maybe there's something wrong with me. I just, I thought it was really (laughs) fun. Like there was, and actually as part of your black belt test, I don't, they, the black belt test is different for everyone, but it's this test you prepare for, for like six months to a year, like religiously every night you're practicing. And so part of my test was you actually had to spar two people at once. And I'll never forget this, but during my black belt test, I don't know where this came from, but I did this like crazy like double kick and I like kick the two people at the same time. And so that was like my moment of glory from from my black belt test that I don't think I've ever talked about on any podcast, but I just thought it was fun. Like it's, it's, it's very much um, on the fly and you have to make decisions very quickly about like what you're gonna do next and you have to anticipate their move and then react to it before it even occurs. So I think there's just something really cool about that. Like having to anticipate someone else's uh, reaction before it happens and then have a counter You know, very quickly. So I thought it was fun.
0: Tell me that there's video footage of that double kick Bruce Lee action. And we got, if so, we have to get that to accompany this podcast on LinkedIn.
1: <laughs> oh my God, I wish, I i don't know. I need to ask my dad while I'm home. I'm like, where's, where's the photo evidence of my Taekwondo years? But I mean, it was so long ago. So I think I have pictures from like my tests and ceremonies and stuff like that, but I'm not sure. So I'm gonna do some investigation while I'm here and see what videos, what VHS tapes exist in this house.
0: I, yeah, VHS <laughs> tapes, yeah. Uh, I, um, I've always admired people that have backgrounds in martial arts, uh, whether it's jujitsu or taekwondo or or whatever it might be. Um, I've never done any of it, but like, for some reason, I just hold that so high on a pedestal because I think it's so badass. Um, and so someday maybe I'll, I'll get into it, but it, it feels like something that if you didn't get into as a kid, um, it feels hard to pick up at like, you know, 27 years old.
1: I don't know, maybe, but there's like a lot of like gyms now and like, you don't have to necessarily go through like the belts, you could do more like class style. So that's what I'm planning to get more into is just doing some like, like more classroom style again, or there's like gyms where you can just have a trainer that does like some kickboxing and stuff with you. So that's, that's kind of the route I'm on. So you could totally do that.
0: But that that's the thing. If I do it, then like I need to go on the black belt train for like fifteen <laughs> years. Like I, I I can't go like once a week to the class. Like it, it will need to become a consuming obsession. I think that's that's the issue at hand.
1: All right. Well, I support you in your endeavor and you can we'll we'll get you through it. We'll get you to your black belt, I believe. It yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll we'll have to we'll have to take that offline. Uh, I'm excited to uh, to learn more about uh, your sales prowess. I saw that uh, looked like similar to me. You were you were out there as a kid, hustling, selling door to door. What were you selling uh, back in the the early Taekwondo childhood days?
1: Oh man, I was a very young <laughs> entrepreneur. So my earliest uh, sale, I think, was homemade potpourri, which was basically Ooh. a combination of like weeds and grass and a bunch of stuff i probably found in the backyard that i mushed together and then i would go hustle it around the neighborhood and i would make a killing off of it and then my dad would get he'd be like you have to return that money you cannot take the money from our neighbors to sell them like grass from our backyard you know early hustle days and then after that like every you know, they always had those catalogs for every single one of those organizations, like the American Heart Association would do them. And you'd get this catalog of stuff you could sell to your neighbors. And I would just canvas the hell out of my neighborhood. And if there was like one house that I missed, I would just go, I would like figure out what time they would be home and like figure out a way to get to them finally. So I never missed a single house. I would I would find a strategic way to get to them somehow and sell something from that catalog. But I made it, I made a killing off those. And then you'd get those really cool prizes, like a giant boom box or whatever. So those were my early commission days. Those were my earliest commission checks.
0: So what drew you to that was, are one of your parents like in sales or, or entrepreneurship, or you wanted to buy like, you know, some sweet shoes or something like that? Or like, what, what was the driver?
1: That's a good question. Nobody's really asked that before. So both of my parents are entrepreneurs. My mom owns a, a restaurant and catering business. And then my dad owns his own consultancy outside of working for a pretty university, um, as a professor. So, um, there's definitely the entrepreneurial side and like, I did a degree in entrepreneurship after that. So like it kind of, that part makes sense. I think the sales side, like it's, it's similar to Taekwondo. Like it was just fascinating to me. Like there's just a psychological element to it of like, how do I Um, connect with someone face to face and then get them to, I guess, purchase whatever it was. It was like wrapping paper or something random at the time. Um, But there was just something about it that was really fascinating to me. And um, it was a challenge and it forced me out of my comfort zone too. Um, But it was just really interesting. So I don't know what it was, but I think that something about like that psychological exchange of having to convince someone to buy something from this obscure catalog was very fascinating to me.
0: And it's, there's such a rush that for people that have only sold, you know, software or something like through zoom, like that's cool. Um, And it's, it's, it's definitely fun, but there's such a rush about being in person. And even if it's like, you know, a $2, you know, homemade potpourri or whatever you're doing for me, like I wrote this sports magazine that I was selling, then I did cut code knives. And so like the, the thrill of doing it in person like in that one call, you know, one meeting type of close is like, it's unmatched.
1: Agreed. Yeah. There's just something really exciting and rewarding about it. Do you know, being in person and you can't celebrate in that moment, but you have to like, wait until you walk away and have your little like, yes moment. Uh, But yeah, I totally agree. I think there's something really cool about being face to face. And I grew up in my mom's restaurant. So like, I was constantly like lurking by the cash register. And I've talked about this before, but I would like uh, have this this my early commission plan with her was that I could get beanie babies if I sold off like <laughs> um, different uh, pieces of products. so she would have like a case of GMs for instance. and then if I could sell through that, I could get like a beanie baby for instance. So so that was really interesting to me. And I think back now and I'm like, oh, this makes more sense how I ended up in sales, but then when you, you when you're in it and you're you aren't really thinking about those things. but now after the fact it very much makes sense that I landed in sales.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Did you hold on to the Beanie Babies or did you, just like me, you just like threw them out?
1: I found three. I have like three of the very limited, like the Princess Diana bear and the Peace bear, whatever those are. So <laughs> supposedly, supposedly they're worth a lot of money, but whoever knows.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think you could get, I think you get pretty rich off them nowadays. <laughs> um, so was that, was it a no-brainer for you, like coming out of Purdue and, and while you were there, that like, based on your background that you wanted to do sales of some sort, or were you, you know, kind of toying with other potential ideas?
1: Um, No, I think it should have been a no brainer, but I actually wanted to, I I say wanted to, because I think when you're in college, you don't, you know, unless you're going into like medicine or something like a very specific uh, role, you don't really know necessarily what things look like. So for me, I wanted to go into buying And I wanted to go into retail buying specifically because I wanted to work for a very high-end brand and like fly to Milan and go look at fabrics. And then, and so I actually went to work for Neiman Marcus right outside of college. And you had to go through this six month program. It was essentially like cut your teeth. You work in the store and do sales, like face-to-face sales. And, And then you get a letter of recommendation. They'll put you through this program. You can enter this buying program. And so I went through and did this and I had to do face-to-face retail sales, essentially, but these were high ticket stores. So uh, so when it came time to get my letter of recommendation, my manager at the time, she's like, you know, obviously I'll write you a letter of recommendation you've been having you know, incredible success here. She's like, by the way, you know, I'm looking, you've been having like $20,000 sales weeks. And we were in this concept, it wasn't even Neiman Marcus. It was like the small concept store outside of Neiman Marcus. So she's like, I really think that there's something else you should explore here. And that's the sales side. And she, I think just saw that fire in my belly and saw how like, how hungry I was to succeed. And I just never rested. Like even when I was in the storefront, I was just running around constantly and trying to help everybody that I could. And and so that was really what put me on the path. And then I I knew that I didn't wanna be in retail sales. So I started to look into what are the other types of sales that I can do? And I kind of fell into technology sales. So my first tech sales role, I just, um, they already had a full class. Like they they really weren't hiring that much. Uh, and I just kind of weaseled my way into that class. Just- see see if I could make it. I mean, it was kind of a sink or swim environment and I ended up being their top salesperson within a matter of a year. And I had the least experience of anybody on the team. So I'm, I'm really proud of that. And I think it's a, it's a good story that, especially when I'm coaching like year one to three sales reps, I think it's just important to know, like you can, you don't necessarily have to have like a certain pedigree or something to come into this industry and be successful. Like if you just work really, really hard and like you do the right things and you take the coaching and mentorship, you can, you can be really successful right off the bat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's super true. And it it doesn't matter how long you've been in tenure somewhere. Um, if, if you're doing the right things and you learn the skills, skills don't know your age, you know, so you could be 22 or you could be 62. It doesn't matter. Um, as long as you've, you've worked to build those, I get a vibe from you that you're like, um, the best best way that I can say this is like, you have like a Dale Carnegie-ish type of like vibe to you in that I feel like you just like, you make people your friend. Like you're like networking and you're just like helping people out. And then just like, you have this, it it feels like you just have this massive network and like, oh, this person knows this person. They introduce you, you get the referral. And like, to me, I I could be completely off. This is the first time we've met for the listeners. So I, I, you know, we're 25 minutes in here. Um, but that's the vibe that I get. Am I anywhere uh, like close to hitting the nail on the head?
1: That's so funny. No one has ever said that, but I like that. I'm going to explore that deeper. I need to reread some Dale Carnegie books and, uh, and see what's going on with me. But no, I mean, I think there is this aspect of, you know, I'm an only child too. So I think there's like that element of when you're an only child, like you don't have siblings, you don't have anybody else. So you kind of have to like seek out friendships or relationships with people like you're always in a state of having to put yourself out there to create any kind of relationships because you're kind of on your own. So I think there's like that element to it and then um again it's just like fascinating to me like getting to know people and and really the last frankly, like the past, like three to four years was the first time I started to like really broaden my network and not just in the sense of like number, head count and number of people, but also like the type of people I was getting to know, like having more of a diverse network. Like I just, I looked around like five or six years ago and I was like, "Mm, everybody looks very much like I do. And I feel like I don't have a very diverse friend pool. I don't have a very diverse um, network, even professionally. And then since that time, it's just been super interesting. Like, I just feel like I'm like really getting interested in getting to know people and like their stories. I'm learning about all these other things that I didn't know before. So I think it's, I think it's a hybrid of those two things for sure.
0: How did you diversify your network? What what steps did you take?
1: (laughs) So, uh, so this is not scientific, but what (laughs) I did was I basically went through LinkedIn. I mean, this is at the time where you couldn't get put in LinkedIn jail as often, Uh, but I basically went through LinkedIn and I did batches of adding people. So, like one of the first batches I did is I went through famous sales authors. Like I literally cross-referenced with Amazon and then did a message blast to with different messages, like customized to. And I was actually ordering a lot of these books as I went too. Um, but I blasted like all these uh, famous authors. And a lot of them responded. And I was like, that's crazy. I wasn't expecting any of them to respond. I was just hoping they would accept my my connection request. So then I did kind of like speakers after that and started to get to know some different speakers. And then I was working in HR tech at one point. So then I had kind of this broad network of uh, talent acquisition leaders and also like diversity and inclusion leaders. So I felt like that really opened a separate door for me. And I started to get to know a different group. Then I started teaching for like Rework and Victory Lap, you know, some of these other programs. So I started to getting to know, like, early, early talent and getting to know, like, you know, some of those, a lot of those programs are focused on diverse talent. So then I got to know those folks and then they introduced me to people in their network. So it was kind of this, this snowball effect that was super interesting.
0: Yeah. And, you know, part of what you're doing nowadays that I want to get into is we've got a mutual friend in, in Gabrielle Blackwell, former podcast guest as well. Um, and you're running a, a weekly—I think it's weekly—Clubhouse series on on women in sales, and um, I'd love to unpack that a little bit and and talk about maybe one why you started it, and then like I'd love to get into some of the topics that that you two have been talking about.
1: Yeah, so so why we started it—I mean, ironically, you know, on Clubhouse, I. I don't even remember totally the origin of it, but I tried to open a room. I didn't know what I was doing. GB is much more tech savvy. So then I she helped me set up this room and then I wanted to set up this first event. And then I was like, why don't we do this together? I'm not, <laughs> you're much more tech savvy. Like I'm, I'm a chatty, Kathy. We're both, you know, it'll be great. So, so we just started running with this and we started a few events and, the first event we did, I think like 15 or 20 people showed up and we were like, holy crap, like we were hoping for like three to five, like this is fantastic. So I think our expectations were like low initially, and then it's just been, it's just blown us away how many people have been coming. So each week we cover different topics. We, um, we've covered like imposter syndrome, for instance, we've talked about, you know, more topics like that. We've talked about being the only woman on a sales team. Um, so we talk about things like that. But then we also, have our last two weeks, we've been doing really tactical teardowns. Like we just did a session on prospecting into the C-suite. Um, we just did one on email prospecting. So so we're kind of floating between the two worlds, like more tactical, less tactical, and then really pulling our audience every week and just saying like, what is on your mind? And then we're keeping a running list of all of that. But they're really the inception of this group was, you know, both of us I think have been really big advocates for women in sales. Uh, we have different starts, like Gabrielle actually started on um, an all mostly female team whereas I started out predominantly male team and then that hasn't really changed in seven <laughs> eight years. So um, so there's that aspect, but I think we both saw this need for, you know, we're looking around and there's not as many women in tech sales, that's obvious. And And a lot of leaders will reach out to me and they'll say like, I don't know where to find women or like, we're not, you know, we, we don't have enough women on our team. What do I do? So I was like, why don't we start, you know, we were, we wanted to start those conversations, but the there's a different flavor to what we're doing. And I think that's because we want men to be part of these conversations. So we made it very clear from the get-go. This is not like a, a man bashing session. We're not gonna be doing that here. But that was the biggest gap that I think we identified is there's so many incredible groups out there, but there's a big part of this audience that we need to show up so that we can actually make the progress that we want. And that's a lot of the male revenue leaders. And so that's been really successful because we're seeing every single week for our conversations, we're seeing new CROs join, new CEOs join. Um, I'm getting requests. I, I check the requests for our group on LinkedIn every, you know, every single day now, and I'll see requests from like CEOs and, and male CROs. And they're like, hey, I'm just trying to, see what's going on in here it's really interesting so so that was really the the inception of the group and then we're just growing from there we just did our first live event with um with uh, scott lease and and richard harris and then we're going to be doing really our kickoff event is going to be actually taking place next month which i'm really excited about but we'll start to do some live events mixed with these clubhouse events and i think it's just going to be really incredible but it's been awesome we're we're about to approach 3,000 members and followers which was crazy. Cause we just started a few months ago.
0: Yeah. So, um, and by that, that's like the, the, the people that are in the room on clubhouse or I'm so ignorant to clubhouse. I don't even know <laughs> how you gauge metrics other than individual followers.
1: It's yeah, so it's like weird because people like follow and then you have to like move them into be members. It's it's I'm I'm still learning Clubhouse too, in full disclosure. Um, but yeah, that's the number that are that are engaged with us on Clubhouse. Uh the number fluctuates on how many attend. Um we're doing Saturday afternoons at two PM Central Time. So um usually it gravitates like I would say like thirty to fifty people pretty consistently, which that's is legit which is a great turnout for us. And it keeps, you know, then we can still control the conversation a little bit, but it's it's super open. Like we pull everybody up on the stage and kind of let everybody have the conversation, ask questions where they feel necessary. And we get a really great mix of people. Like it's a super diverse group that ends up coming every single week. So um, so we've been really proud of it. It's been really exciting and, you know, no slowing down. I'm excited to see where we take it next.
0: Yeah, So, so tell me, you know, one of the topics you mentioned was like, being the only woman, woman on a sales team, mm. um, and that sounds like that's been much of your career, right? <laughs> like, or maybe not being the only one every time, but being in the in the minority there. So, uh, tell me about like what that experience is like.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's always this piece that. Um, You know, I think it starts even before you you get into a company. I think there's this piece that resides in my mind, even when I'm interviewing, you know, for jobs, you're thinking about in the back of your mind, most of the time you're interviewing with male revenue leaders and unintentionally, and it's kind of that... um, you know, unintentional bias piece, but um, a lot of people want to hire for themselves. Like they'll, they want to see themselves in the candidate. And, and so people, you know, say that less often now, but it's still kind of in the back of a lot of people's minds. So, you know, you think about that experience, Tom, and like, you're in an interview and you're this blonde chick that sits down to go to the sales interview and you're face-to-face with the male revenue leader. It's like, I know from that moment, I don't remind them of themselves probably. And so there's that piece that kind of always is, is in the back of my mind. But then even when you start on a sales team, you know, typically it's, it's me and one, one other woman on the team, or maybe, you know, a couple other women on the team, but um, you know, there's, there's just differences like there's, you know, certain, even the way that you're kind of talked to internally is different. It has different flavor than kind of the way the men are, are spoken to typically on the team. And there's different kind of social outings that maybe. Are or aren't open to you there's different conversations topics that are and aren't open to you and and even things like territories like that's the piece that I think is maybe the most painful sometimes for women on um, teams depending on what organization you work for but that's a big piece of kind of monitored now for a few years where i'll watch territories like new york or boston and they always end up with it seems like men on the sales team because of mm. the personality or the quote unquote personality or persona of the folks that live in that territory and so there's there's some real financial implications of that too obviously when you're when you're thinking about these most successful territories so i think there's there's all that um But I think for me personally, it just pushes me to, to be that much better. Like I, I know that maybe the expectations of me as a female seller may not be the same as what they are of, of a male seller. So I just try to go above and beyond to do everything I can at the end of the day, the dashboard doesn't lie. So whatever is up on there, like whatever's on there is what our leaders looking at. So, so I think that's just been my methodology is just like run through it like a brick wall and, and, uh, it's been working, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a different flavor to, um, when you're one of anyone on an organ, you know, this, this stands for anybody that's kind of in a diverse group for, for sales teams. So it's definitely a different experience.
0: We, me and you, like, I got a business idea. We're going to create t-shirts that just says the dashboard doesn't lie. Dashboard doesn't lie. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I love that line. So, um, do you find that in these types of situations that you, need to or not need to but that you your your inclination is to uh kind of act like that guy that is the the VP of sales or whoever the revenue leader is right because you're saying I don't look like him I'm a different type of person like he's not he's not expecting me to show up for that interview and for me to do as well as I do do you find that you have to almost kind of mirror him or do you feel comfortable like doing things your own way even though it might be Different, or at sometimes maybe uncomfortable for for someone like that?
1: Yeah, I think my answer would have been different like six or seven years ago. I would have said like, yeah, I'm gonna mirror everything he's doing and try to match his energy. I think now I'm I'm past that point. Like I don't wanna be somewhere where I can't be my authentic self. It's gonna be a disservice to both that company and me as an individual contributor. So I, I lean on the fact that I have a really strong process. Like I'm super organized and meticulous in Salesforce. I have like my daily planning, I time block, I do all this. So like, I believe in my system and my Alexine sales methodology. And so I lean on that. And if that doesn't resonate with someone, it may not, you know, it's not always because you're, you're female that you don't get a job, for instance, like sometimes your personal methodology doesn't match with, with that company and that's okay too. So I think now my, my style is much more like here is the way that, that, that I kind of operate. Here's how I run my book of business. Does this resonate with what you all are doing or does it not resonate? So I'm much more, I'm going in thinking about skill set and matching. And and the other thing that's changed a lot, um, my one of my mentors is Amy Volis. And so she's a big proponent of the scorecard. And for years I kind of like approached interviewing, you know, really early on in my sales career as like, I'm being given an opportunity to work at that company. And like, I should be grateful to be given that. Whereas that's flipped a lot for me in the last few years. I'm like, here are all the things that I need to see out of your company. And here's all the things that I bring to the table. And let's see if those two match up somewhere in the middle. But for a long time, like but that, that philosophy really shifted in the last couple of years where I'm really seeking x y and z and i'm making like a tailored list of everything i want to see in uh wherever i'm going to sign on with because it's just as much a, a life decision for me as it is for them like we need to be on the same playing field so i think a lot of this has shifted over the last few years
0: well that's just knowing your worth right it's the same as if you're selling to someone you're going for a job uh you know for a lot of like personal situations like if you're just willing to kind of like go at the whim of of whatever the other person wants you kind of like you're kind of diminishing your own value there. So if you have your own value, then um, only the cream is going to rise to the top or, or whatever the saying is, right? And you're going to find that the right opportunity it might take a little bit longer, um, but you're going to find a better situation for yourself.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: What What would you say uh, if, if someone was listening and they were in that position uh, where they're at a company, right? And um, they are feeling like, you know, they are seeing those best territories given to, uh, you know, someone else that's not them. Let's just maybe kind of keep this a little broader. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> it's it's maybe based on their personality type, but it's not based on performance. It's not that the dashboard, the dashboard is lying in this case. <laughs> like, what would you, what would you advise? I know that's, that's a broad question, but would you advise them to like, kind of confront someone internally about that? Or or maybe that you just have to own up and say, like, hey, maybe this isn't the place for me or, you got to fight through it or like, how do you, how do you advise on situations like that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it it's a it total, obviously, you know, it depends like what your overall experience has been with the company, but I think, you know, my first step, and again, this is, this is really that piece of like owning your voice and like stepping into yourself. Like now I'm much more like, I will approach someone with that topic like hey i just noticed that you align this territory to this rep can you walk me through you know why that why that decision was made or why you felt that was the best territory for that person and and then i come with my data like that's the biggest difference is, mm. is this focus on data and like you know if if i'm able to you know walk into a meeting and i say you know hey here's here are my revenue numbers here's this person's revenue numbers. Like where, how was this decision made if this was our top territory? You know, like there's just pieces like that, I think that um, that you can speak to. So I think I would approach the person directly. I would say if you have like a history of kind of recurring themes happening and you, you have tried to approach these conversations directly, I think sometimes you just know, like you get that gut feeling. You're like, I've kind of exhausted what I can with XYZ organization. Um, and it's time for me to... Have those conversations outside of this company and then use that as as kind of part of your scorecard. then for the next you know as you're doing interviews like think about that as you're approaching those interview conversations ask that as a question how do you decide what territory people are aligned to like how is that decision made like they all of these things for me are not like it's negative in the moment i guess because you you have negative you we all have kind of like experiences that have happened over time But then I try to arm myself like with whatever knowledge I gain from that experience and use it moving forward. And then, you know, Gabrielle says this all the time. Like if you aren't seeing what you want to see vote with your feet, you know, you that's, that's the other alternative if you've kind of exhausted those options. So I think those are, that's what I really focus on. And I'm, I'm very much in this mindset now, like either I'm learning or getting back. Like, I mean, it's like, there's no negative right now. Like for me, even if I have like a bad meaning or if I have a bad cold call, whatever it is, I'm 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 just, I used to beat myself up a lot about stuff like that. And now I'm very much just in a different headspace where I'm like, what can I learn from this? And like, how do I ensure that this doesn't happen again? Or like, how do I arm myself with this information to help me for the next time? So, um, so I think that's, that's in the same vein as the, as what you were talking about here.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. And, you know, one thing that we were mentioning pre-show was uh, just to kind of kind of pivot to a different topic was, you know your territory right now is, is kind of like major accounts, major named accounts, and surprisingly, this isn't really a topic that comes up much on the podcast. I'd love to nerd out on this with you for for a few minutes. You know, a lot of the talk is, you know, as an SDR, for example, like how do I make the best cold call? How do I use video and prospecting things like that? But you're you're really doing a different type of sale. Like you've got these major accounts. It's called it the. You know the Coca Colas, the Bank of Americas, the Googles of the world. Like I'm just naming random companies, but but those types of enterprise accounts, like, how do you go about the the mapping to get in there? Because if you, a lot of times, if you might just get one shot with the right person, and you got to kind of strategically get your way in there. You can't just blow through tons and tons of accounts, most likely. So I'd love to learn, you know, how you how you map it, and if you do use any like tools or uh, systems or or you know, products or anything like that, because uh, that's kind of the ballpark that I'm in as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, definitely like the main two, like Zoom Info and um, Sales Nav, like probably the most obvious. But those are those are really the two tools I use. Like, if so I'm just kind of okay. laying it out, um, but but it is it's a different motion because. What I learned like for the longest time, and I've I've had major accounts in my books for you know for years now. And the way that I used to approach it was basically like who is the C level at the top of whatever the food chain that I'm trying to sell into. And I would just like knock on that person's door nonstop and like try to just knock my way in. And it's, you know, sometimes it worked. Like sometimes I was able to get really strategic with my messaging and get a foot in the door and then get the meeting and then it worked out. Um, Most of the time, it was just me knocking on their door consistently and not getting anywhere. So the way that my process has changed really over the past few years is rather than just trying to call, like I keep that top person, whoever the top person is, like I will always have an open task for their name in Salesforce. But then I also have typically like three to four more open tasks and those are for like mid-level folks and then even some like usually one lower level person so for us that could be like an analyst and i'm just Mm -hmm. using that you know potentially i don't want to say using them but potentially leveraging them for you know some direction or some advice internally of how how to maybe navigate or who to talk to next or what makes the most sense um so everybody kind of has you know a, a reason that i'm reaching out to them and then i have like a manager level person that's kind of you know, still, still probably not going to be, you know, a decision maker, but at the same time is, is someone that I can talk to about more of like the team structure and like team dynamic. And then I have a direct, you know, maybe director level or VP level that can talk to me more about, um, you know, future outlook and like how the team, you know, um, how the teams work together. And And then you have that top level person that's more like, they just want to know like how is this gonna you know potentially save us money and where are we gonna save time? And like I and this is like our our big overarching plan for our organization. So I think now I've kind of chiseled it down to different conversations for different people and I've really gotten more into the persona play of like this title oversees this and this title deals with this. Uh, but then in Salesforce, it's just I'll I'll just stagger those tasks. So I'll have like five open tasks on whatever um account. And then basically just staggering those like every day so maybe like monday i'm calling that um that c level tuesday i'm calling the analyst maybe wednesday i'm calling the directory and the manager and then if you know thursday i'm doing you know another i'm, I'm back to the c level and and so i'm i'm just keeping a pretty wide net for a lot of these accounts and then as i'm getting redirected i'm just starting new points of contact so it's just it's it's that casting a wide net Um, but then even the part that I'm working on just, you know, that I brought up recently was then how do you kind of like keep those lines of communications open? Cause we talk about casting a wide net all the time. And I think it's used so broadly and everybody's like, yeah, so I just, so I just hit 50 people with emails. I'm casting a wide net and it's like, uh, like, Mm -hmm. like a little more strategy behind it. But then like the piece that I'm really focused on now is like, how do I keep those people informed of the, you know, how do I kind of like still, um, keep those lines of communication in relationships open, because you may have to go back to some of those people too, and get redirected or something might change. So, so that's even a part that I've been working on a lot too, is like not only casting the wide net, but then like keeping, keeping those lines within the net open.
0: Yeah. That's just multi-threading at its finest right there. That's just true. up and down the, up and down the chain of command. Yep, Yeah, exactly. What you have to do. And are you responsible for just uh new business or like Renewals and upsells and all that stuff, or, or how does it work for you?
1: Mine is predominantly new business. We have like some cross sell opportunities because we have two products. Uh, But even those are, are different because it might be like, they may have like one license, for instance, like in Canada with like a random user and then nothing else. So you're kind of restarting a lot of those from scratch too. But the bulk of my business is new business, not new. And I'm also scheduling my own meetings. I mean, we have one SDR, but the bulk of my meetings and demos are scheduled by me.
0: Yeah. And uh, I'm curious because if we bring it back to the taekwondo, like you seem like you're, you're structured, you have a discipline, you have a process Um, in, you're doing a lot, right? You're, you're not only are you a top performer, but you are doing the things on clubhouse. You're doing things on LinkedIn. Um, you know, you're, you're building out your network, you're connecting with all these people. So I'm just curious, like in a rough shot, like what does a day in the life of Alexine look like?
1: Um, I would say, uh, so I'm also a night owl too, which I know is like very frowned upon. I don't know when that became taboo to talk about. <laughs> Everybody's like, if you're not an early bird. People birth, hate on that. They hate it. Yeah. They're like, you cannot be successful. So I'm a night owl. So I'm usually like in bed at like 1 a.m. You know, if I'm lucky. And that's like, so I'll, I'm usually running off of like six hours of sleep, which is not healthy and I don't recommend, but yeah, it's usually <laughs> like a, we have our first meeting at 8 30 every morning. So, you know, I, I jump right into that. Um typically like i try to keep it's very hard but like for linkedin i try to keep everything like lunchtime or after hours so what i actually do is like screenshot um messages to remind myself to reply to people like afterward and then that's why a lot of people will get messages from me like late at night cuz i'll like go back through all my screenshots and do those um and then a typical day is a mix like it could be like a couple of discovery calls um usually like a couple of demos uh pricing calls we do also do proof of concept so there's usually like a proof of concept conversation or follow up conversation in the mix as well uh internal meetings uh we do we do like a good amount of like uh getting together with our sales team here at my current company where we um We recently did like a, like a book club actually, where we just did uh, like an hour each week and went through and like reviewed a chapter of, you know, different prospecting book. Um, So we do some things like that. Um, We just joined sales assembly. So I just finished like that senior AE certification, which was like half a day um, so it's a mix, like it could be, um, and then sometimes events, like there are events I'm, I'm very choosy about like during the week events, especially like during work hours, but a lot of them are like at that lunchtime as well. So there are certain events that I'll try to hit, but it's pretty busy. And then after hours, I mean, um, I, am took over as head of community for Thursday night sales. So I'm like helping a lot with Thursday night sales. So that's like Thursday night gone. Um, <laughs> Tuesdays I'm part of Scott Lisa's Patreon so he does tequila Tuesday so that night's gone so I kind of like have these nights and then Saturday is clubhouse day so like that's kind of I mean I'm exhausted after that it's like two (laughs) hours of talking so um so it's busy like it's very hard for me to kind of schedule things in but that's why like I I had to do the time blocking there was no other choice than for me to get really meticulous about my calendar and I've also had to take a step back from like coffee chats and stuff like that, that was kind of like eating my soul for a while where I was taking every coffee chat. So now I'm, I'm much more selective. Like I'll actually ask people, like, can you send me through a couple of the questions that you have? And maybe I can help guide you via LinkedIn or do something that way. Um, but I still do some mentoring and then I'm still teaching on the side too. So it's, it's very busy.
0: Got (laughs) a lot of shit going on.
1: There's (laughs) a lot of shit going on. Yeah. I'm very busy, but, um, but it's also really rewarding. Like the, t- like I was explaining this to someone recently, but like teaching, like with Aspireship, with Rework, with some of these other programs like that, even though I'm tired afterwards, like some of those sessions are like one to three hours. Sometimes I I feel like energized, like it kind of feeds me somehow and it recharges my battery. So there's some of these and same with the clubhouse. So there's just like certain things, obviously deplete energy. And then there's just certain things that kind of fill me up and keep me motivated and satiated. And I think that's like the clubhouse and the teaching really do that.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's how I feel about, about doing all the podcast stuff. I feel the exact same way. Um, I'm curious uh, for the last question for you. uh, You seem to do a lot of learning and development outside of all these other activities that you're doing. I'm just curious, and and it doesn't have to be sales. It could be really any, any topic is fair game, but like, you know, books that you uh, have really been impactful for you or podcasts that you're binging or YouTube or people you follow on Instagram or like anything that's like, you know, super top of mind for you that um, has been impactful for you for your career or that, you know, you're obsessed with right now or or anything, uh, you know, it's fair game.
1: I think so. My honest answer is I'm very in the community-based learning. Like that's where my head is at right now. And I'm like, Full on in in that frame of mind so like thursday night sales is huge for me and it's not just like the the event it's also like the people i connect with from there those are people where i can send them like hey i'm working on on a deal xyz like here's what's going on with it do you have any advice and like i have now like sales leaders that are just where i can text with them and they give me advice so i would say like that's a big group i know i already mentioned tequila tuesdays but i'm part of like Scott's Patreon, Scott Lisa's Patreon community, Kevin Dorsey's Patreon community. So like the Patreon groups are super helpful. Obviously, like Morgan Ingram, I follow all of his content. So I'm constantly, you know, watching there too. So I think for me, it's been more community and like connection-based learning that that I've been doing a lot more of these last few years. And that's been super impactful, specifically because. For me, like I I typically with sales books, like the full disclosure, I'll kind of like skim them and like take away key themes and Mm -hmm. and kind of take what I can from it. Um, But sometimes like some of the information is super relevant. Some of it's kind of like outdated sometimes depending on what the book is. But when I do this like more community based learning approach it's like we're talking like we just did a cold call breakdown with Scott Lee's um, a week ago and like we literally went through like cold calls and like did mock exercises and like beat each other up until we were, you know, getting better at them. And I thought that's like super helpful and relevant. So so that's what's been working really well for me, and then also like a Sales Assembly as well, doing some of those uh, certification programs. I haven't done a lot of certifications in the past, so that's been that's been super helpful for me too, just to get to get exposure to more of an organized curriculum.
0: Yeah, I think that's I think that's great, and um, I mean I think those communities make have made the world a lot smaller, um, and especially with with COVID, the people you can meet in those um, are really amazing and really impactful. Some of the people that you mentioned, like, you know, Scott and and Amy and Richard Harris and, you know, Gabrielle and all these people are, uh, you know, uh, you know, Christine from Spireship are, are all uh, amazing. And, you know, that's just a short list of them. So, um, if I didn't have a prospect call in five minutes, I swear to God, we could keep going for another hour, (laughs) Uh, but unfortunately, uh, we're, we're kind of at the time cap, uh, before you go, um, Any last thoughts and then like, where's the best place for folks to connect with you if they want you to reply at 11 PM, uh, with, with something (laughs) like while you're on your like fifth coffee of the day.
1: Uh, I gave up caffeine. So that's a different day. I know, I know that's wild. So my last thoughts are, you can still get number one, you can be a night owl and be successful. I think someone (laughs) needs to spread that message and I'm going to be the one that does it. Um, and then number two, I gave up caffeine. I used to do eight shots of espresso a day, which is not healthy. Eight? And I was like, Goodness. I was like, why am I so anxious all the time? Uh, <laughs> but it made sense. And I did, I went cold Turkey like a year and a half ago. So, so wow. you can also be successful in sales without caffeine. Although what's
0: your, what's your replacement?
1: Nothing. I'm like zero.
0: Caffeine. Or, no, like nothing. or
1: broth. I should do that. I always read about that. Um, no, I'm just like a water. I just drink plain water. That's it. But I do miss, I miss that little jolt sometimes. So that's why I have to like find energy elsewhere, but it was a lot easier to go off six hours of sleep with, with coffee. But, um, but yeah, so there's that. And then um, connect with me on LinkedIn, I will, I will get back to you between the hours of 11pm to 1am. So don't <laughs> be surprised when you get messages at that time. Uh, but I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. Um, and we also just launched our LinkedIn page for the Women in Sales Club. So definitely encourage people to follow that page, you'll get a little welcome note for me. Um, and then we'll be posting all of our upcoming events for the Women in Sales Club there too. And Uh, we will soon be launching our, our, really our official launch event with some incredible speakers. So that's going to be taking place now middle of next month. So stay tuned for that, but I'm super excited for that one.
0: Nice. Uh, that's awesome. So everyone definitely, uh, look up Alexine on LinkedIn clubhouse everywhere. Um, Alexine, (laughs) this was great. Yeah, this was joining.
1: Yeah. I want to make the t-shirts though. So we'll work on that. That'll be our side project. (laughs)
0: <laughs> the dashboard don't lie. That'll be coming soon to the website, so people keep your eyes out for that.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you cool. for having me on. Thanks everyone for listening, and uh, see you. See you on LinkedIn or Clubhouse. <laughs>
0: yeah. See ya. All right, everybody. Thanks for checking out that podcast while you're walking the dog, while you're cooking up your stir fry, while you're at the gym, whatever you're doing. Um, two things. Number one, uh, please head over to uh, Apple and give this show a five-star review. Uh, Send that to me on LinkedIn and I'll give you a a free Starbucks gift card. Would really appreciate it. That's what helps this show to grow. Should only take you a minute. And second, one more shout out to our sponsors, Gong and Postal. Please give those folks a shout out. Hit them up on LinkedIn. Check out their websites. Uh, They can do wonders for your business. That's all I got for you today. Peace.